The Free For All Roundtable. Round two. On round two this morning, and like I say, Dowson is here, CTV radio commentator, Brampton Mayor Patrick Brown, and News Talk 1010's Jason Agnew. And Jason, you've got an interesting distinction. You'll effectively be the last uh, live show before we break for Christmas and the first live show when we come back. Is that it? You bet, John. I'm doing a live Sunday morning trivia on Christmas Eve morning. What a great wake up and win. I, and then I'm filling in for you on the 27th to the 29th. So, yep, I'm bookending the holidays. I work when everyone else doesn't want to. Ah, okay. Well, I'm looking forward to a break, and I'm glad you're going to be in this seat. Uh, let's actually begin with something we were just talking about. Uh, Patrick Brown, one of your city councillors, was here uh, to talk about the heads and beds tax, I think it's called. I had never heard of this before. I like the logic behind what she's asking for, but I can't imagine how you would orchestrate a system where it would work that, you know, where you live is, as an international student is where the money would go. Yeah, so it is, um, it is a policy in Ontario now, has been for a long time, where there is some compensation for municipalities based on student um, volumes. I think it's about 117 million province-wide, uh, but the challenge is, it is based on where you enroll, not where you live. And so uh, where I really support what she's been uh, championing is the fact that I look at a community like mine in Brampton, where we have the largest international student population. Uh, and in many cases, we have huge numbers that are going to Conestoga College um, in Kitchener. We've got students we found going to school in Windsor and Montreal. And so um, it's not necessarily an equitable um, distribution anymore. Okay, but, um, well, it's probably part of a longer conversation. I want to sink my teeth into a few other things, but I'm glad you were able to weigh in on that. Uh, new polls show that most Canadians can't afford a single-family home. It's not actually a poll. It's sort of a measure from an economist at RBC, which shows that it used to be 60% of people based on income could afford to buy a home. Now that's down to 46%. And when it comes to an actual house, it's down, I think, at like 26%. And like I say, Dowson, I guess as we continue to, to discuss housing. None of this is a surprise. No, and I think, you know, the writing was on the wall in the 90s when the federal government abandoned alternative housing models like co-ops and nonprofits, just basically walked away from it. So here we are 30 years later, and the, that the break that was provided by that model has been completely removed. So now we're in the hands of speculators and rip-off artists of all kinds. You know, the free market basically has failed on the housing file, and now we need intervention. This is where government becomes a useful tool to protect the interests of uh, voters and citizens because the free market is only about profit. It doesn't give a damn about people on modest or lower incomes or even people on reasonably high incomes now, it would appear. So yeah, I looked to Sean Fraser. I thought he made some interesting and creative announcements about using old models of post-war housing. We're talking about introducing regulations that will allow for plexes, which are very familiar to us in Montreal, four plexes and six plexes, so people can actually buy something and you know have a stable housing situation. And I think we need to do something about making rental more accessible. But I mean, you know, it's partly the inflation crisis. It's partly the banks, you know, pushing up interest rates, making mortgages really difficult to access. People don't pass the stress tests. You know, it's a bunch of this, a bunch of these factors all together that make a perfect storm. And trying to pin it on the feds is overly simplistic and 
basically dishonest because it's also a provincial and municipal issue. And we saw Olivia Chow stepping up on this front, too. So, I mean, people are going to have to start getting creative and push back against the greedheads who run the real estate market. (laughs) Okay, well, Jason, that kind of sets things up very well to discuss what was announced yesterday, which was $471 million federal dollars. Uh, Some people are saying it's just a drop in the bucket, though. We're talking about tens of thousands of new units when we need more than a million. It is a drop in the bucket, but it's going to take many drops in the bucket to fill said bucket. And one of the issues with what's going on here with the housing crisis, and that is can very well be the buzzword uh, of 2023, at least speaking on this radio station, is the fact that you can put all these drops into the bucket, but the houses still have to be built. And that is not a quick thing to fix because you have all that construction that has to happen for, I mean, the planning and then the construction. So this is something that is not going to happen overnight. Okay, and it wasn't your city, Patrick Brown, but I think every municipality is negotiating with the feds. Are we on the right track here? Well, first of all, I love Sean Fraser's creativity. I think it's the first time we've ever had a federal minister engaged in the housing file in the in the last number of, of, of decades. Um, Brampton did have our announcement a, a few months ago for $114 million, which is similar on a per capita basis as, as, as Toronto. But I think this does just scratch at the surface. You know, we, we talk about 114 million um, in Brampton. Our servicing cost to meet the provincial uh, goal is 11 billion. Um, so this just touches um, the, the the surface. It's helpful. I'm glad that it, everyone's at the table now, federal, provincial, municipal, looking at ways to deal with this this crisis. I believe the poll. I don't think a young person, you know, can afford a home. But I also think we need to be honest about the solutions. There is no magic um, bullet for this. Um, and any federal politician or provincial politician or municipal politician saying that they can change interest rates are being dishonest. Um, a lot of these are international trends that, you know, are, are, are hopefully going to get better in the coming months and, and, and years. But there's a lot of this that are beyond our immediate control. Justin Trudeau, in a year-end interview that actually was much more about the personal than the political, but he was asked, are you going to take a walk in the snow? Amazingly, next February will be the 40th anniversary of of his father taking a walk in the snow, which, of course, is code for resigning. But Jason Agnew, he said, no way. How sad are you, John? How sad are you? And not because you want the prime minister out, but I know you love that little bit of, you know, poetic nature to politics and how this could have very much parodied what his father did. Uh, It would have been an interesting way to go out as far as Canadian legacy goes. Yeah. And Patrick Brown, Jason's right. It would be it's a leap year. So it would be exactly the same as his father on the 40th anniversary if he decided to mimic that. But let's not kid ourselves. If he ever was considering that, he's not going to say it in a year-end yeah. interview. Um, otherwise, he'd be a lame duck prime minister for the remaining period. And so uh, I don't think any of us will know when he's actually thinking about it. Um, I think it will come as an announcement that will probably leak out days before, certainly not months or years before. And like I say, Dowson, it was a very unguarded interview because it was with our old friend Terry DeMonte, and the two of them are like best buds. Yeah, so they've known each other for years and years and years. I don't know if they went to school together, but anyway, they're old buddies for sure. I also saw him do an interview on Radio Canada with Patrice Roy, who put some of those same questions to him. And he came out sounding very energetic and upbeat and not like a guy who's ready to leave anytime soon. And I have to conclude that the attacks, irrational and, go to use that word again, dishonest attacks by Pierre Poitiev have galvanized him or, you know, sort of gotten his dukes up 
Um, so, yeah, I think it's interesting that he's uh, trying. He's trying for the record held by Wilfrid Laurier, who broke that sort of 10 year wall and hung on to power longer than what most prime ministers have been able to pull off. So I guess we'll see. Meanwhile, he's got this deal, this agreement with the NDP uh, that has caused this dental care program to take effect, which I think is really helpful to a lot of families on low incomes, especially, but families and generally people who haven't been to the dentist for years. And they're working on pharmacare. Hopefully that will happen in March. So, I mean, he is doing stuff that's useful. So, I don't know, maybe he's sticking with it. Who knows? And as Patrick said, no politician's ever going to say, oh, yeah, you know, I'm considering leaving. Like, that just doesn't happen. That is, you know, so there's also that element. There's Patrick, also yeah. no obvious successor. No, but Sean well, Fraser is starting true, to look like the guy. The big debate now is how good is his French? Yeah, he's doing, he's very impressive, Sean Fraser. He's a good communicator. He's not phased by the attacks by Poiliev. He's a, he's a smooth operator and he's a more relatable person than either Mark Carney or uh, uh, the finance minister's name, Christian Freeland. Christian Freeland, they, yeah. those, those The two of them just come across as uh, silver spoon kind of elitists. Much worse than Trudeau himself, who's also a silver spoon elitist, arguably. Well, he's also six foot six, but let's keep moving. Uh, Patrick Brown, <laughs> I guess you've been uh, featured in political cartoons in the past. The Sun has apologized for a cartoon that was judged to be anti-Semitic, mostly for how it rendered Volodymyr Zelensky in the very cliche 150-year-old tradition of the giant nose and the scraggly beard. But what's your takeaway in all, all of this? Well, I'm glad they um, apologized and recognized um, the error of uh, publishing that cartoon. I think part of the, the challenge is um, there is a ton of Russian disinformation out there. You just don't expect it to creep into mainstream um, media. And so it's unfortunate when it does. It's, it's difficult enough to deal with on the Internet, but at least they've acknowledged their mistake. Yeah, and like I say, Dowson, it's pretty incendiary stuff in the hands of Russian propagandists because it appeals to, first of all, the idea that the West is paying for the war, which is actually largely true, but also that, you know, there's the, the, the Jews and the whole threat to security and the whole threat to Mother Russia. No, I, it's completely unacceptable. It was, I, I gather, it was from a U.S. source, yeah. but probably from some kind of Russian something or other. Who the heck knows? And I think I've never been a fan of the Sun, the Toronto Sun, like I, the tabloid style and that kind of everything is terrible. The world is ending. Like, I really don't appreciate that style of journalism. But we are in an era of the collapse of the mainstream media. So a lot of this nasty completely terrible stuff is leaking into what's left of the conventional media. So it's a, you know, something to be guarded against and keep your media literate eyes on the ball because you're getting stuff is flashing up now that is completely, completely wrong and flat out lying. And so it's very challenging. And the Toronto Sun got, got caught up in it because their style is generally not very cautious or not very careful or not very thoughtful well it also so ask yourself to, this ahead. then yeah. was sorry john but was it calculated we're, we're talking about the toronto sun more than we have in i don't know how long so was it calculated that it got approved and published knowing nobody that wants to apologize to, for it 
Yeah, I, don't I don't think anybody wants to appear to be anti-Semitic or Islamophobic in the current atmosphere. Like, it's just bad. Like, there is such a thing, I think, as bad publicity. I think this is it. Yeah, I think, Jason, and we'll move on to one last topic here, but it may just be a staffing issue that there's almost nobody left in a lot of media outlets. Mm-hmm. So somebody looks at that yeah. cartoon, they don't know the cultural reference, so they just go, yeah, sure, we'll publish this tomorrow. Uh, Newfoundland yeah. and Labrador doing away with post-game handshakes. I don't know, did you play hockey, Jason Agnew? Absolutely. Played hockey for 18 years. This isn't good. This isn't good. The post-game handshake is, you know, you're playing a game, you should be playing it for fun. No matter what happens on the ice, you do have that handshake afterwards. It's a sign of sportsmanship. And as we continue to silo ourselves, and especially youth siloing themselves and being at home on their devices, this is a time where you got to realize a game is just a game and we're out there to have fun. And this is a sign of respect at the end of the game. Patrick Brown, you still play hockey. Do you shake hands? I do, and I love the sport, and it's one of those um, uh, you know legacy aspects of, of, of the sport that you always shake hands. So I think it's absurd that it, you know they'd be canceling it in in that province, and I hope that's not replicated anywhere else. I think you you play hard, you have a um, an enthusiastic game, but you treat each other with respect at the end of the game. Thank you all. Good to have you. Merry Christmas. We'll talk soon. Take care. And like I say, Dowson, Patrick Brown, and Jason Agnew. And uh, coming up on the other side of the news, our NBC correspondent Rory O'Neill has the list of the top concerts of 2023. Hmm, I wonder which artist is on the list.